over the last few weeks, we've been exploring prayer, and um, we've called the series The Movement, and today's message is going to put that into context, at least I, I hope it will. It will begin to give an understanding to why this is entitled The Movement. Ultimately, it is designed for us to understand that great and wonderful things happen when we pursue as a people extraordinary, God-honoring, kingdom-advancing prayer. So let's take just a couple of minutes and look back and see where we began. We began with praying backwards and changing our emphasis so that we don't view praying in Jesus' name as a conclusion to a prayer, but rather what it truly is. What it is is a power of attorney that grants us the authority of Jesus Christ to represent Him both in prayer and in our work and in our witness. It is an incredible privilege. And so therefore, we need to, to shape everything that we pray into the likeness of Jesus and into the authority of His name. And I, I love this. I heard from Nelke Wolters um, a couple weeks ago when they were sitting down to, to prayer as a family, um, Jesse starts, in Jesus' name, begin. It was like, awesome. It's like, yes, somebody heard the message, even though I found out later he wasn't even in here. But he picked up the bulletin and he read that while he was, was, was waiting, and that's how he began his prayer. And it was a great way to do it. We want to make sure that all that we pray conforms to who Jesus is. And recognize the power we've been given. Secondly, we explored the purpose of prayer isn't for our wants to be granted or our wishes to be met. It is to know God and to make Him known. Because that is the greatest thing there is in our life and it is the greatest mission we could possibly serve. And then last week, we explored briefly what it means to pray as a priest we understand that there is a priesthood of believers and over and over again the scripture talks about us being a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, that God has saved us for that purpose. But seldom do we see ourselves in a role as an intercessor like a priest from the Old Testament. We're there to carry the people on their heart before the very throne of God. And with that, we gave you that little instruction of, of a way, at least that I, I pray, the, the word, the acronym BLESS, praying for them bodily, for their, their, their physical needs. Uh, that's the B, praying for their labor, the work that they're called to do, praying for them emotionally, for the things that they're going through, the, the things, the joy and the sorrow that they're experiencing, praying for them socially, about their relationships, and ultimately praying for them spiritually. And last week, as we, we had that wonderful testimony from Battelle, uh, I encouraged us to, to adopt these men who are currently in Battelle. And so in your sermon notes is an insert with, with some of their names, some of the ones who are currently in residence at Battelle. And what I want to ask us to do is if you'll send me an email, if you'll adopt one of these men and you will promise to pray for them over the summer. It's going to make, for the next 60 days, pray for them every day and see what God is going to do in and through these incredible men and be praying for for Peter and for Veronica as well and uh, let's see if we can strengthen 
our partnership and, and lift them up because they're doing a great and mighty work right here in Prague. And so, but I don't want you to just nod and say, yeah, I'll do that. Let me know because if we have gaps, then I'm going to come find you, okay, and hunt you down to pray, okay? Are you all scared? I know I'm a pretty intimidating guy, all right? So let's do it. Let's pray. Well, today we're going to explore something that I'll be totally honest with you. I don't know if I can preach this message. It is something that God has been working on my heart for 10 years. It's something I don't understand yet, but he's been prompting me that there's something about this passage in Zechariah that captures my heart, and I believe it is a call for the church. Before we get to Zechariah, we want to look at a couple other things real briefly on prayer. The first is this simple statement that I want to make to you as as a general statement about prayer. What God promises, we should pray. When you look at God's Word, when you read through the Scripture, look for what He promises and turn it into a prayer because He's already given us the instruction that it's going to happen. Therefore, when we pray what He promises, we begin to enter into His name and His will and His purposes, and we get to see what He is doing. So what God promises, we are to pray. Then also, we need to understand the dimensions of prayer. Prayer is the greatest ministry both of the church and of every individual believer, because prayer looks out in three directions— Towards heaven, from earth, and against hell. It is the most important thing that we do as a follower of Jesus Christ. Towards heaven, prayer is the worship of the believer. In words, we express with our hearts, with our lips, with our spirits, the greatness and the worth of God. We should sing to Him. That's why every song that we sing that's a worship song should also be a prayer. And that's why so many times prayers can become songs. The book of Psalms, one of the reasons why I've encouraged you to use that in your prayer time is because they are worship songs to the Lord, but they are also prayers. And they're filled with all the richness of the human experience, the agony and the joy that we go through, the raw emotions, the frustrations, the doubts, And the prayers. Prayer is the worship of the believer. And it declares the immeasurable worth of God. Earth reminds us that prayer is the work of a Christ follower, of a believer. Oftentimes we think of prayer as something that we should do before we work. And there's a sense where that is true. But the reality is prayer is what God chooses to use to accomplish His purposes. And the work that comes out of that is simply the fulfillment and answer that He gives us. He gives us the power to be able to do what He has called us to pray. We saw this beautifully displayed in so many ways yesterday with the dancing on the streets. Prayer after prayer after prayer were answered. Little things, big things, God was honored in beautiful ways. 
And for those of you who participated or, or came and cheered on or prayed, thank you because God was immeasurably honored. But prayer is our work, is what we're called to do. Think about it. Whenever Jesus did something, he prayed and then it happened. We're to follow the exact same pattern with the exact same trust in the goodness, greatness, and power of our God. And finally, not only is prayer towards heaven from earth, it is against hell. Too often we, we forget that we have opposition and that the way that we are called to engage in warfare as believers is in prayer. The great passage on the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 has a bookend towards it about prayer. Let me just read this, this verse. He instructs us to put on the armor of God, and I'm not going to go into all that passage, but verse 18 says that then this is what happens. When you have the armor of God on, you do this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making intercession for all the saints. And it's set within the context of spiritual warfare. So that is what we are to do in prayer. We pray towards heaven, from earth, against hell, and God does great and mighty things. Well, now let's go to this passage of Scripture. Zechariah chapter 8. This passage of Scripture is one that God has used at a number of times throughout history to bring about revival. One of the greatest is it is actually the Scripture that birthed the Great Awakening under Jonathan Edwards and the congregation that was involved in praying alongside of him. Jonathan Edwards, in typical Puritan style, wrote a little book, and the title of the book has 145 words. Brevity was not really something that you sought after. Accuracy was what they sought after. And so it took a lot of words to be able to express all the things that he wanted to say just in the title of the little book. Now, the shortened, shortened, shortened version is a humble attempt. But let me give you the semi-shortened title of his book. It was this, a humble attempt to promote explicit agreement and visible union of God's people in extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth, pursuant to scripture promises and prophecies concerning the last time. That title is a great sermon all by itself because that's what we should be about. This little book, and I have an updated version of it right here, and it's, it's one that has been incredibly humbling and inspirational to me. The updated version is entitled Praying Together for Revival. But what Edwards was prompted to do was because of this scripture that was just read for us he sought 
to bring agreement with different denominations, with different gatherings of people, that they could agree upon one thing, that they were to pray for the advancement of God's kingdom and that God would bring revival on the face of the earth. And God answered that prayer. As a church, we are unique in that we have a gathering from many different nations and many different denominations and backgrounds. That allows us a unique position within the kingdom of God to be a bridge. That's one of the reasons why the Bridge Center is called the bridge. To be a bridge between different groups, different cultures, even different languages. God's given us a special place in His kingdom that is amazing and humbling. But what are we to do with that? How are we to use that unique position to engage in the work that God has called us to? I believe that one of the ways is this passage here in Zechariah. Let me read it to you again, and we're going to draw a few, few things out of the text. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now, let me stop right there. What does that mean? What it means is this is a promise, okay? Remember I told you what God promises, we should pray. So when he says, this is what I'm saying, we need to pay attention because this is going to happen. It has been written down. It has been decreed. <laughs> back back um, many years ago when I was, when I was young, uh, how many of you remember the Cecil B. DeMille version of the Ten Commandments? Okay, the great classic movie with Moses. Well, there, there was Yul Brynner, who was, a, who was an actor, um, who played Pharaoh. And whenever Pharaoh wanted something done, he would say, so let it be written, so let it be done. Okay, and I loved that line because I used it on my kids all the time. You know, I, I would tell them something, I would say, so let it be written, so let it be done. And they paid about as much attention as the Israelites did to Pharaoh on that. But it was fun anyway. That's what God is saying. It's written. It's going to be done. It's a reality. So he says, this is my promise. People shall yet come, even inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself... I'm going. It's an amazing, amazing passage. Now, in this, we're going to discover that there's, there's a lot of nuance in the original language that we need to unpack. But as Tom already gave us a little description of the background, let me tell you just a, something about Zechariah. First of all, his name is an incredible prayer. Zechariah means God remembers. That's his name. What a cool name. In fact, what a greater prayer. And here's the thing. If you forget everything else that I say today, which is perfectly fine, would you begin to pray this? Because I think the most powerful prayer we can pray is God remember us. That's the theme we see throughout so much of the scriptures, especially when, they're, when God's people are going through trial and difficulty, when they're facing adversity, the cry of their heart is, God, remember us. If we as a people will consistently pray, God, would you remember the church we call ICP? 
God, would you remember the believers here in Prague? Would you remember us? He will answer and do great and mighty things. Now, in this setting, Zechariah is trying to answer some questions. And in the verses that precede it, in verses 18 and 19, it is a, um, an answer that comes from the Lord about a question that Zechariah asked earlier in the book, because he was asking about the fasts. At that time, Israel has come out of captivity in Babylon, and um, they are returning to Israel, and there's a, there's a transformation happening, and so They've, they've been somewhat restored, uh, at least to the point where politically they, they are able to, to be a people again, and he is beginning to rebuild them spiritually as well. And so Zechariah, the prophet, has a question because there were several fasts that were required or that had been brought up during the time of captivity that recognized things that had happened in the destruction of Jerusalem. And and. And so he's asking, now that we're going back, should we continue these fasts? And here's God's answer in the context in verse 18 and 19. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth month and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Now, to us, because we have a limited background and understanding of, of life in that day, and especially under um, the context of, of Judaism, it, it seems a little strange. But each one of those fasts commemorated something that happened, a historical event where they lost something spiritually. The fast of the fourth month commemorated when the wall of Jerusalem was breached by Nebuchadnezzar's army. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 3. The fast of the fifth month recognized the fall of the temple in 2 Kings 25, 8. The fast of the seventh month remembered the death of Jedidiah, the governor who was appointed by Nebuchadnezzar, who was assassinated. And the fast of the 10th month remembered the beginning of the final siege of Jerusalem in 588 B.C., which is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 25, 1, and Jeremiah 39, 1. And God is telling Zechariah and the people, everything you've lost spiritually, the things that you were holding on to because they were represented by the temple, I'm going to turn what has been broken and lost into something incredibly joyful. Now, we need that context because where this, these verses about a people that shall yet come is ultimately going is back to Jerusalem and back to the spiritual renewal of God's people to the point where they will recognize the Messiah. Where it is heading, ultimately, I believe, is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. There's a, an incredible movement that began in Asia, in China and in uh, South Korea, with Asian believers who had a conviction based upon the Scripture that part of their mission, even though 
in the, in the case of the, the Chinese believers, they were under great individual persecution. They felt the prompting and call of God that what they are called to do is to, to be intentional in helping to bring the gospel back to Jerusalem because it sets the stage for the return of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of attitude that is being displayed here. It's pointing towards the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And that passage where it, it explores about how ten people, ten men, will take a hold of the robe of a Jew and they will say, let us go with you before we hear that God is with you, is a picture, not a literal number, but it is a picture of the nations, of the gospel being proclaimed to all the nations and then it making its way back to the Jews at a point in time where their hearts are opened and they embrace Yeshua, Jesus Christ, as Messiah. And here's the promise of the Scripture. Jesus said, this gospel of my kingdom will be proclaimed to all nations and then the end will come. When the gospel reaches the ends of the earth, when all the nations are reached, it comes back to Jerusalem and who returns? Jesus Christ. So this is the greatest event that it's pointing to in all of history. And it begins with a group of people praying. I want you to to let that soak into your heart and mind for a little bit. It begins not with a program, not with necessarily a great evangelistic outreach, although that is something that is a result of this. It begins with a group of people who are committed to pray and seek the Lord together and become a catalyst for others to go and pray and seek the Lord together with the intention of seeing the completion of the Great Commission. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, inhabitants or even inhabitants of many cities. This word in the original language, amim, peoples, literally means a group of people or a congregated unit. It's a congregation. It's a church. It's a gathering of God's people who make a commitment to pray like what is described in this passage. It begins in a church or more likely in a group of churches, a group of congregations who covenant together that they will pray these kind of kingdom prayers focused on honoring God and bringing about the fulfillment of the great commission that he's going to use to usher in the return of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? Now, Here's the hard part. The hard part of that is we can look at those words and we can say, okay, I believe that that's going to happen. But it's a whole nother leap of faith for us to be bold enough to say, God, could you use us to do that? Could we be a part of that? On the one hand, it almost feels arrogant to to even pray that, but it's not. Think about Moses 
Moses is described in the Scripture as the most meek man ever on the face of the earth. And what did he pray? He prayed, God, show me your glory. He prayed with a boldness that reflected not who he was, but the greatness of the God he had seen in the burning bush. That's why if we can have the faith to say, Lord, could you use us and really believe that he could, he'll do something amazing. This is what prompted Jonathan Edwards. Now, obviously, Jonathan Edwards, what happened in him did not lead yet to the return of Jesus Christ. All that happened was a great awakening to where the gospel began to spread all through America and through Europe, and then revival after revival, the Welsh revival started, the Moravian revival um, started. It was only a little thing that just, you know, but it, that, that basically spread over the whole earth. It was the precursor to the fulfillment that ultimately will lead to the return of Christ and the completion of the Great Commission. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even inhabitants of many cities. Now, now let me draw out some things from this. First of all, one of the things that you see is this gathered group of people who God uses as a catalyst, they're multicultural. They're people from many cities, many great cities, if you go back and look in the original language. This means they're people from different capitals and different prominent cities all over. Secondly, they are a missional people. They choose to go. Thirdly, they are a prayerful people. They entreat the favor of the Lord. This means that they are bold enough to ask God to use them to bring about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's their prayer. Fourth, they are a worshipful people. They seek the Lord of hosts. They ask God to show them His glory. They pray that they will know God and make him known. That's the desire that's deep within their heart. And then fifthly, most importantly, they will be personally committed. It is not just a leader. It's not a pastor. It's it's not the deacons or the elders. It is the congregation as a whole that says, I myself am going. I'm going to own this. I'm going to be a part of it, and I'm going to do whatever God calls me to do in prayer, first and foremost, and then as I pray, I'm going to trust that he's also going to use me and use us to advance his kingdom, and I'm going to begin to ask the Lord to open my eyes to see him for who he truly is and allow his power and his spirit to be at work in and through us. And I'm going to trust that he, because of who he is, is going to do great and mighty things. This group of people, God says, I'm promising. This is my word. I'm going to use a congregation or a group of congregations to bring about a revival that ultimately ushers in my return. He's going to do it.
question is, do I have enough faith to believe maybe he could use us? I want to ask us to pray that. Lord, would you strengthen our faith? Would you teach us to pray? Lord, would you do a work in us that becomes a catalyst? I want you to think about strategically what, gather, what God gathers in international churches, not just ours. The, our, our sister churches here in the city, international churches elsewhere, they have so many unique connections. And we live at a time where there's, there's so much travel. I mean, every, every summer we hit the time where we begin sending people out. They're, they're going back to their home country. They're going on to a new job, a new position. What if we begin to see ourselves as a sending church, as a sending congregation where we're encouraging people to pray kingdom prayers? And like when you go back to your homeland, when you go to that new place that God has called you, will you take the same message? Will you encourage folks with the same passion and heart to say God is doing something? So it's so easy for us to look at the, the evil in our world and the tragedies that are happening almost on a daily basis. And we look and we see how corrupt and how broken we are politically. And we get frustrated. But that is the time for us to go to our knees and say, God, this isn't taking you by surprise. What it is doing is it's stripping away the things that we tend to rely on instead of you and bring us to a point of desperation where the only thing we know to do is to call upon the name of Jesus and to believe he is the answer that will change this world. I believe God is going to do something great. And I believe he's calling us to have a small part in it. I don't know what it is. It doesn't matter. That's up to him. Even if it's just a little step that helps prompt others, that's fabulous. Don't you want the legacy of your life to be about something that has great eternal consequences? Can you be bold enough to pray, Lord, would you make me an active part of bringing about the fulfillment of the Great Commission because I want to see you come back where every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Is that worth living for? You see, ultimately, we will become what we pray. If we begin to pray along those lines, I believe God will answer and work in great and mighty ways. We're going to look at this a little bit more at our, our dedication service next week. But let me just give you a final thing here. And that is what to pray. At least a place to begin. I told you already what God promises we should pray. Secondly, what God says in his word we should pray. I believe that is the key to a great and growing prayer life. We want to pray for God to remember us. Pray that God will remember ICP and that he'll use us 
to be a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that for Jesus to use us as a part of a movement to bring forth spiritual revival so that we may see the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the return of Jesus. But ultimately what I would ask us to pray is a passage of Scripture in Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Can we make a commitment as a people to begin praying that passage of Scripture? That God would bring that to be a reality right here in the city of Prague, in our home countries? That he would begin a movement of people crying out their hearts to pray this very thing, that God would show himself. The word rend um, is probably not a, a word, if, if English isn't your, your heart language, you, you may not be familiar with it. It means to tear open the curtain, to open it up. It's the exact thing that happened when Jesus died on the cross and it says in the Holy of Holies that the temple, excuse me, that the curtain there in the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom, allowing us in through Jesus Christ to the very presence of God What we're praying is that God would open up heaven in a way that we would see who he is and that the nations would tremble. Instead of mocking God, they would begin to see there is a God who loves them, who offers salvation, a God who is holy and who is just, and he he has visited his people in his spirit like he did in Pentecost in the early church. And he's doing a great and mighty work. Because his people prayed. Lord, would you rend the heavens and come down? I want to encourage us in the upcoming weeks, we're going to do a number of things in prayer, giving tools, but I want to encourage us to commit our hearts to seek the Lord personally and to seek him continually. Commit to diligently praying for one another. So I encourage you to use the directory to begin praying for one another on a, on a daily basis. Let us commit to unite in praying kingdom advancing prayers. Prayers that focus in on God's purpose in making himself known. Let us pray and commit to be a church that God could use to be a catalyst to encourage other congregations, other ministries, that they may do the part God has called them to in his great work. And let us commit to going to other cities. Let us commit to becoming a sending church. It's a hard thing when we send people out of here. We develop friendships and love, and it just tears at us. 
spring retreat is usually a really bittersweet time because we have the joy of spending time together and then we have the sadness of knowing this group of people are going. But maybe if we begin to commission and send them out, understanding that God brought us together for a reason to grow close and to love one another, and now he's sending us out into all across the globe to be used to advance his kingdom, it'll give greater purpose and understanding in what he's doing. And then let us each commit to engaging in God's mission personally. Because this happens only because we say, I myself am going. I'm going to be a part of it. I don't know what it looks like. If it's supposed to happen, I believe God will reveal that to us collectively, not individually. But I do believe he is calling us to pray with boldness that he will use us, that he will commission our souls for the very reason why we're here, to know him and to make him known. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for who you are. And thank you, Lord, that you're mindful of us. The psalmist wisely says, the heavens declare your glory the greatness of who you are. The universe pours forth speech and asks the question, what is man that you are mindful of us and yet you have chosen us to know you and to make you known. What a privilege. Lord, would you help us to see how absolutely amazing that is. And give us a boldness in our faith to believe that you could use even us, even though we don't bring anything to the table except for a willingness to be used. Oh, Lord, have your way in us. Begin a movement in me. Begin a movement in us. We ask in Jesus' name and for his honor. Amen.